Willkommen zu den Bloodthirsty Vegetarians mit ihren Gastgebern Richard Wilgorsch und Joan Talarico. Bleiben Sie dran und Sie werden mit Sicherheit einiges erfahren über Diskussionen und Debatten aus dem Umfeld von Kultur und Medien. Unbequeme und dennoch anregende Konfrontationen, politische Streifzüge zur Linken, zur Rechten und in der Mitte, sowie ein ständiges Hinterfragen von Stereotypen, das ist unser Metier. Unsere Vorliebe für gutes Essen und Trinken wird ebenso Einfluss auf die Programmgestaltung haben wie neue und alte musikalische Edelsteine. Also bitte, bleiben Sie eingeschaltet. Hello. Hello there and welcome to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. I'm <lacht> I'm host number one, Rich Wilgus, and that's host number one. Point one. <laughs> yeah, Rich likes to call me number two. No, you're host number one, John Tallarico. Oh, that's right. We're both hosts number one. That's right. And I'm oh, yes. very democratic here at the Bloodthirsty yeah. Vegetarians. Yeah. And we're getting lots of practice doing this show. <laughs> yeah, this is our second crack at it. Yeah. We just sucked so bad the first time. We got about eight minutes into the show, and we went, "What? Where? Are, where is our head today?" I mean, our collective heads were just—we uh, were on another planet. We weren't even talking about the same stuff. We were suddenly breaking out in in, in Aramaic. I mean, it was <laughs> speaking in tongues. It was just silly. My dog was in here. I mean, it was crazy. The dog was in here, and he was jing jing jingling. You thought it was Christmas yeah. or something. But anyway, we're he back was at it. Tink tink tinkling as well. <laughs> but that's another topic entirely. <laughs> Because he is yeah. Sam the... Yes, from now on, his name is Sam the Incontinent Wonder Dog. Yeah, he's got a cape and everything. He's got yeah. a big, I don't know, a W and an I on it. <laughs> yeah, my wife keeps reminding me that he's old, he can't help it, you know. In in dog years, he's about 100, but it, it's a very sad thing. Anyways, I don't want to dwell on, on my dog's problems. Well, he's he's fine. He's a good good dog. Yeah, he's a good boy. So, what's going on, man? Well... You know, I keep forgetting to talk about a couple of things that I forgot to talk about a couple of shows ago that I forgot to talk about a few shows prior to that. And my so now you can catch up. It's, uh, it's we're it's catching the, up. The wonders of technology. That's right. Yeah. This is a catch up moment. And well, actually, I did want to mention that I noticed that you did have some plumbing. You wrote a, plumbing problems. You wrote about it on the blog a, a month or two ago, but I didn't realize they were so bad that you needed a porta john in, <laughs> in your driveway. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! I don't have it. Oh, where is it? Oh, geez, I had a sound effect. Don't have it anymore. I was going to have like laughing or something. Oh, okay. Uh, well, John, there is a porta. <laughs> Why don't you uh, speak to that topic? Yeah, there's a there's a porta potty on my on my uh, driveway. We have some construction going on in the house. Got a new roof going up, and uh, the construction company brought their own porta potty. Yeah, it's it pretty nice cool. of them. It's been here on the uh, well today and the last time we taped, and it has a great sign on the door. What does it say? <laughs> Do not block toilet. Yeah, we can't have that. <laughs> yes, that would be bad. And the other thing I wanted to. Uh, briefly mention was the whole findagrave.com thing, which was a total uh, uh, weird uh, coincidence in finding that site anyway. I mean, we had no intention of talking about it, and then suddenly there it was. But I immediately emailed my friend John, that John, the guy right there. I'm pointing at him He's right pointing now. pointing at me. Mm-hmm. I emailed him and my friend Leo, and I said, isn't this weird? You know, findagrave.com. And John kind of agreed. Yeah, that's kind of weird. That's a little, you know, unusual. My friend Leo, however... Did not find it that unusual, and I've been meaning to talk about this just very briefly. 
He actually grew up on a cemetery. And I suppose when that happens, you don't find things like findagrave.com that unusual. Mm-hmm. His dad was actually the town undertaker or whatever they call that guy who, uh, I don't even quite know what he does. Maybe he just digs the holes. and <laughs> Did he push a cart around saying, bring out your dad? <laughs> he did. He did. This uh, He was reincarnated many times, and he was yeah. in that film as well. And he was also the guy who uh, made the... Um, the tombstones. He um, yep. engraved the, uh, the, the the letters and numbers into the granite and stuff. So Leo grew up his whole life on this cemetery, mowing the lawn and giving tours and doing all kinds of stuff. And he got to the point where he sort of knew where everybody was, you know. There's Bob over there. He's in the uh, the pink granite. And there's his wife, Jane, in the gray granite. And Assigned seating. Yeah, it was assigned seating. Must be in the front row. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so to uh, someone who grew up so close to a cemetery, actually on the cemetery, and uh, kind of got to know the uh, the uh, deceased on a first-name basis, I guess findagrave.com wouldn't be that unusual. No, and you reminded me um, that when I was a kid, I used to have a, a friend who, I think it was the same deal. It was a groundskeeper for the cemetery and used to ride my bike down to his house. And I always thought it was weird. Even to this day, I think it's weird. But if you're living there, I guess it's not too bad. Well, that actually brings up something that's just weird about our culture in general. I mean, we tend to have this big denial thing going on about death. You know, we don't we don't deal with it as a culture like so many other cultures do. I mean, the Japanese, for example... The Klingons, <laughs> they all uh, they all tend to deal with death a little they more. Embrace old. death. They do. They embrace it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we just kind of pretend it's not going to happen, and then it happens, and everybody goes to the funeral and talks about how wonderful they were when they might have been a, a raging jerk. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, of course, the lines like "and he looks so good" come out, you know, when there's a body laying there in the coffin. And I'm thinking to myself, they're dead. They've never looked worse. <laughs> That's right. The last time I saw them, they were breathing. They looked great that day. <laughs> but they're so peaceful. It's like they're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, what are the other things that people say? All that hyperbole. Uh, Anyways... That's our theme song. Yeah, it is. I keep getting requests from people, by the way, to play that in its entirety. I know we've played an awful lot of Jeremy's music, but there are people out there who want to hear our whole theme song. All right, I'm going to make a promise right now. Some... The next show where we play the German intro, not this one because we already have music lined up, and the next show where we've playing, we're playing the German intro, we're going to play that song because it's just too much to play it as the intro and then the Well, we thing. might not even be playing a German intro. We might be playing a different intro, but it won't be our normal intro. We're going to have the... Uh, we may have an Italian intro. Oh, we can't tell, but we're going to spoil a surprise oh, for everyone. All right. Okay. Well, let's just jump right in. Dive I'm, right in there, I'm John. jumping in head first for the second time. Why don't you get your feet wet a little bit? Just dive right in. Yeah. Just so, go for uh, it. Last just week... dive right in. <laughs> Don't push me, man. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> this uh, this last week, I think it was Thursday the 29th, um, I was invited to go see a speaker at Hamilton College, which is uh, about an hour from here. Yeah. And it's a it's decent... pretty close to where I live, actually, but not as close to John. Yeah. And um, there was a speaker. His name is Jared Diamond. He's an author and professor, Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, he's got a, a, a great background. Uh, look him up on the web. He's, he's got an interesting background. He speaks a dozen languages or so. Um, but anyways, this book is on, um, collapse, the, the, the way that societies either choose or to succeed or choose to, to fail. Um, I think that's the title collapse, how societies choose to succeed or fail. Um, and he had some interesting points to make. He sort of went through the, the synopsis of this book and the, the premise of the book, um, and it's, it's interesting because you can, he broke it down into five reasons or five factors for the success or failure of a society. First being climate. Well, in no particular order, uh, climate. And if you've got some, uh, catastrophic climate, it's going to obviously do some damage. Or if climate is, is going really well, you can have some bumper crops. 
um, exploitation of resources. If if you've got some natural resources and you, and you rape the land, uh, you're you're going to be in some some sad shape because there's nothing left over. That sustainability, yeah, it's such a huge important thing when it comes to um, crops and mm-hmm. uh, just resources in general. Yeah, and and he he also uh, gave some some good concrete examples. He compared uh, for this one in particular, he compared um, Easter Island to say Japan. I think it was the Tokugawa shogun era of japan um in easter island they completely wiped out all the trees they they took every single tree down in in uh their efforts to ju- raise those giant heads and <laughs> they're kind of cool though yeah they are cool and in fact they raised all of the giant heads and then they raised all the giant heads meaning they, they took them all down again um but well they, got, they hadn't killed all the trees yet and chopped them down so that's they, right they, they needed, needed something to, else to chop down they needed to get rid of those trees and uh by uh, moving the heads. That's right. They rolled those heads over the trees. Now, they they completely took out every single tree on that island. And after you've got no trees, you can't build houses, you can't make canoes, you can't go fishing. You're pretty much left with nothing but people. Yeah. And and what they did is they ended up eating each other. They they fell into cannibalism and and the entire society sort of went downhill. Well, that's that's a typical course of extinctions, isn't it? You know, um, cut down trees, make large stone head triptychs, <laughs> extinction. Yeah, I think we're in the second phase right now. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 going to be heading down that path as well. Well, it's also important to note that Easter Island is about the size of a postage stamp. So, I mean, saying they First cut class. down, yeah, saying they cut down all their trees is like saying you know this acre of land no longer has trees on it. I've seen real topographic maps of the island, and it is particularly small, and it's pretty isolated too. Yeah, well, and that that's also a, a good point, and it feeds into a lot of his other arguments. Um, and its isolation also makes it a good little laboratory to to uh, to study. Um, and in in contrast, the the Japanese they were running out of trees as well, as you know. The Japanese island chain they're they're uh, they're not that huge. They're much bigger than Easter Island, but they have limited resources and they are separated by water, obviously. Um, but they realized they were running out of trees, and they knew that trees were a, a valuable resource. So they put together a program of rationing, and once they did that. They sort of got their their natural resources in order, and I think he said that by the 1600s, when Western man sort of came upon Japan, they were completely self sufficient. So it shows how how maintaining and sustaining natural resources can can help a society or make it fall. Um, then the third point was enemies. If you've got uh, barbarians at your gate and crushing your your culture and raping and pillaging, you're going to go downhill pretty quickly. If you've got no natural enemies or, or enemies of any kind. It's going to help you uh, live comfortably. Well, Japan uh, was able to, uh, for I mean, with, with their um, feudal society and samurai, I mean, they certainly mm-hmm. were able to defend themselves. They sure were. For a while, anyway. They had some big knives. And then Western <laughs> culture invaded, and then it was over. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I just watched um, The Last Samurai, the Tom Cruise film. Which that is was kind a pretty of pretty good movie. That. I yeah. thought it was a great movie. Yeah. I mean, it was epic. There were some wonderful performances in it, and uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting movie. Not to divert you. No, don't divert me all you want. That's what this is about. Remember Shogun, the uh, mid James like, Clavell. James Clavell. No, that was the was I it Clavell? The, uh, Clavell would think was the author, but then there was um, well, there was some, the miniseries on television. Yeah. with um, the actor who was also in like the Jericho Mile. I can't remember his name. One of my favorites. He was also in another miniseries at the time called Masada. Which was out at the time, but Shogun was very good. I don't think I saw the whole thing. I don't think I could stay awake. No, I, I saw the whole thing. It was actually required for my uh, social studies class in tenth grade. We used to talk about Shogun. Wow, that's mm. dating you. Yeah. <laughs> Do the math, people. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. I gave away two important days. Two clues. Yeah, which will allow you to determine my age within 12 months. (laughs) Um, The other point, the fourth point in his five-point program like Mao, um, he he said that if you've got trading partners and if if you're – nobody's – no society on its own is going to have all the natural resources or can stand on its own. So if you've got uh, strong trading partners and strong alliances, that's also going to help. Um, and the last thing, which I, I thought was the most interesting, was insulation of leadership, meaning if the in, if the leadership of any society is completely isolated or insulated from the the common man and the common man's problems or the society problems as a whole, like natural resources going downhill, um, that's going to be something that either accelerates or completely uh, causes that society to collapse. Well, there's that classic example of... Uh... Our current president's father, uh, George Bush Sr., you know, going into the grocery store 10 or 12 or 15 years ago, whatever it was, and um, seeing the laser scanners, you know, the price scanners and going, just being totally blown away by these things. You know, they had been out for years and uh, he had never seen them before and didn't realize, you know, he thought this was some sort of secret uh, military technology derived from UFOs at Area 51 or something and didn't think the common man, you know, had that at his his service, you know, and... uh, Help me out here, John. I'm fumbling. No, it's it, it's exactly it. I mean, you've you've got a leadership who has who knows nothing about the the experiences of everyday man, and and in fact, let them is, eat this cake. Is, this is it, exactly. We've got several examples. That was one example that uh, that Jared Diamond didn't bring up, but he did talk about the Mayan civilization where the the Mayan emperors they they walled themselves in, you know, metaphorically, and and they had once all of the the hillsides were completely stripped of natural resources and trees and and um, and crops, and there was really nothing left, and there was mudslides. Um, what you had was emperors saying, "I still need my rations. I still need my goods. I still need my my comforts." And he he had, or the the emperors had the these goods given to them by the peons, and the peons just rose up and killed them. They so, were damn good astronomers, though. Well, yeah, they were damn good. Lots of things. They had, they are actually a huge civilization, which yeah, very which much. is very a, advanced. A, which is a a point. And I think one of his earlier books, um, "Guns, Germs, and Steel," that was made into a National Geographic special. Um, I I believe, and again, this is secondhand information because I haven't read a, a lot about um, that book either. But people have told me that he talks about how these three things, guns, germs, and steel, were were the downfall of some of the, the native civilizations um, in the in the north america and south america um and there were millions of native americans when when the spaniards landed and when columbus landed and what we're talking about is not just these these desolate open areas of land to be exploited by the 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 europeans we're talking about huge civilizations that were very advanced yeah and what did them in were guns germs and steel yeah, well, and the Spaniards. Well, and the Spaniards, who were sort of pushing all three of those things. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they had them at their disposal and used them uh, quite effectively. Yeah. So anyways. Conquistadors. Uh, Jared Diamond, I, I suggest everyone take a look at him. I picked up that book because I hadn't read it yet. Um, his speech compelled me to, to pick up that book. And uh, as I read through it, maybe I'll bring up some more topics in it. Well, when you're done with it, I want to read it because I picked it up today too, but I just literally picked it up. It, you had it on the table here a minute ago. and uh, <laughs> Don't lift it. Yeah, I lifted the book and uh, it looks interesting and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to reading it when you're done with it. It's a big book though. It's one of those books with a lot of words in it. It's got pictures. Oh, but it's got a lot of words, too, so it's yeah. going to take a while to read. It's about a thousand pages. When you read it, it's going to take a while. <laughs> It'll learn you, though. <laughs> <laughs> It'll learn you good, damn it. 
Well, you're so damn sensitive. I mean, that's really the bottom line here. I'm sensitive? Oh, I'm just making make fun of the Scott Bakula song from last oh, week. Oh, yeah. He smokes Crackula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, he lays down the Smackula. Yeah, on the bad guys. And, Deborah, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. That's but that's correct. another topic entirely. Yeah, we'll bring that up later. So we're going to go into a tune now. It's actually a, a friend of mine that I've known for years but have never met. He's actually somebody There's who, lots of those people. There are. There are. Um, I never leave my house. And he's... Um, back in the day when John and I used to run computer BBSs, this guy used to run one and we all used to network and we used to have fun little parties over the phone lines with little ones and zeros and it was just kind of silly. <laughs> Occasionally we did meet. Not him though. Locally we would get right. together. We'd, we'd have get together. Have little get togethers and all the, the, the geeks and nerds would, would actually have to look at somebody in real life and talk to somebody, which was, was wonderful. But it was just like real life. Everyone shuffled off to their own corners and played music. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've known this guy for a while. His name's Todd Madsen, Mad Sound Studios. He's a madman. And um, I like this song because it's kind of layered and structured and it's got like a kind of a cool, uh, mellow vibe to it. And um, why do you like it? Why do I like it? I like it because you like it, Rich. That's right. I'm a follower. John's a follower. <laughs> so this tune is called Orange Crush, and it's by my friend Todd Manson, and, and we're going to play it for you right now. Thank you. 
Cool. Sometimes you got to wonder why people title songs the way they do. Yeah. Maybe he was drinking an Orange Crush the whole time. Could be. That's yeah. what I was thinking, actually. Yeah. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe it had something to do with something else entirely. Who knows? Stream of Consciousness is kind of song naming. But yeah, to me, it didn't feel like an Orange Crush. It was more like a Grape Knee High. <laughs> yeah, it had a very Grape Knee High vibe to it, definitely. <laughs> well, actually, what we should encourage Todd to do is send us some audio feedback describing why he named the song that. So, yes, Todd. he should. Do it. You've been, you've been um, asked. <laughs> <laughs> you've been commanded. Do it immediately or die. Yes. So, this is, uh, I got another uh, bottle of wine here. Last week we didn't have wine, but... Uh, John wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling well. My stomach was a little shaky, but right now it's feeling good. I picked up this this bottle yesterday, and it is a 2003 Cabernet Sauvignon <laughs> from the Napa Valley from uh, 20 Bench. And I'm going to give this a shot. He's pouring, pouring the wine. Try some wine. And while John's pouring that, um, I'm just going to kind of lead into the next um, topic, which is free speech, which I know we've talked about before. A couple of times. But we're going to talk about it again because free speech is important and there are people in this world who would have you censor yourselves and not speak freely and not be critical, but we don't like them and we're going to continue to not censor ourselves and continue to be critical. I wish those people would shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, the, I guess the the thing that struck me this past week was um, there seems to be an assault on free speech. How was that wine? Very good. He's I'm good. rather enjoying this. What do you think? It's fabulous. Yeah, there seems to be an assault on free speech. And no matter where you stand, left or right, or in the middle, um, I think we should I hate all... Those terms. I know, but labels, labels they, they're, they're tough, but... They're useful in conversation because they're points of reference. I think they have no, not because, not just because in general labels are bad, but because those don't be, even as left, right, and center, they don't begin to describe people's political views. They're incomplete. You no, know? I, I think labeling is bad, you know, in general, just because it reduces people, you know, it, it pigeonholes them, but those labels don't begin to describe people's politics. But no, because if, if you're completely right, then. Well, I don't think there is such a thing as that means being completely right. That means you're not completely wrong. Yeah, that's right. No, but there is a continuum, and I think you're, you're absolutely right. Not not right. You're absolutely right in that... that Gotta act. You start out with that, that point. You say, I'm maybe three-quarters of the way towards the right from mid, from center. And from there, you start the conversation. And then you get to really know what the person thinks. Yeah, but you need a benchmark, don't you? Yeah. I mean, who's more right or left than me? Who's more right or left than whatever? I mean, how close are you to the center? I mean, everybody would have us believe they're in the middle, right? It's a four-dimensional grid is what it is. It really is. It's a hypercube. <laughs> so anyways, the the thing that happened this week that, that sort of got me uh, a little bit riled, put the hair on the back of my neck standing up, was... Um, it's nothing a razor won't fix. Well, crying out loud, shave your neck. <laughs> Some nair. Uh, Bill Bennett, everyone's favorite uh, secretary of education from the previous Bush administration. Yeah, uh, known as the education czar. Drug czar, I think he was, He too. was the drug czar, too. Yeah. And that might be an appropriate title for him, the czar. <laughs> he was in Russia? Anyways, he, um, he made a statement on his radio show, and I'm not defending the statement, I'm not defending the the context of the statement. I'm just defending his right to state it and, and he posed these arguments. 
Um, the statement that he made was, in effect, he was he was uh, responding to a caller who had said that um, one of the ways that we could have Social Security be solvent would be if we outlawed abortion so that there'd be more babies and therefore a larger tax base. Well, and he said that, and he was actually referencing another book, I think it's called Freakonomics, where he said in that book, they, they argue that aborting more people and specifically aborting certain ethnic groups would um, would cause the crime rate to go down. So you can't t- just take these arguments on their own and and use them because they're morally reprehensible. And I think, um, and if people can look up his actual statements, I'm not going to quote him on this, but um, he was making a statement that you abort black babies and crime will go down. And then he said right afterwards that that's a morally reprehensible thing to do. Well, people are taking the second part of the statement out and just taking the first part and saying that he's advocating the aborting of all black babies and they're getting up in arms. Some people are using the entire statement and still getting up in arms. And I'm saying he's making an argument. He might not be sensitive about the argument that he's making. He may be offending people, but he's got a right to make that argument. People are trying to shut him up, and and that really irks me. Well, and he was paraphrasing, too. It's not his argument. He was merely restating the argument which is ridiculous for a variety of reasons, but um, uh, I and anyone who um, is into the political scene at all would know that he would call himself a conservative and would be morally opposed to abortion on any level. Anyway, right? I mean, so he's, he's, he's not he's completely not a, against abortion. Yeah, and he's. I, I mean, I guess from a socioeconomic standpoint, you know, maybe if you aborted the babies of or fetuses of poor people because i mean that's where crime comes from you know crime comes from from poverty i mean there's so many studies that point to it this administration is in, is in denial about that just like they are about you know global warming or whatever but um yeah I, but of course it's a ridiculous argument to make nobody's going to start aborting the fetuses of poor people african americans hispanics anybody i mean i don't know i don't even know where to go on this to tell you the truth i mean it's just pointless it's 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 an intellectual argument i love intellectual arguments right. i love talking about things in the abstract but this has so little interest for me and i don't mean as a topic for the show but it's something to explore over wine at a party later this just isn't even something I, I i would explore i mean it's just an argument you know and but i do agree he definitely has the um you know the free uh, well in theory we have free speech right i mean well we have the right to to say things but but i think people when they hear things that make them uncomfortable, they want you to stop saying those uncomfortable things because it makes you get out of your comfort zone. That's why you're uncomfortable. Everybody. Should. Well, this reminds me of something else, actually. And speaking of Hamilton College, there was a speaker scheduled there named Ward Churchill. And some of you out there might know him as sort of this loose cannon who has some very strong opinions. And he had said something which was soundbited. It was turned into uh, like a quick sentence. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I would be paraphrasing at best, but the local papers were kind of insinuating that he had said something like the people who died on 9-11 were like Nazis or something. This is what the local media and all media really had been misquoting him as saying. And while I definitely think the guy is a bit of a loose cannon, that really wasn't the argument he was making. And, and very much like Bill Bennett, you know, something very controversial was said and some people immediately... Um, they jumped um, on the words and not the idea. Yeah, they jumped on the words, they not on the idea, and they picketed or whatever, and they got him canceled from speaking at Hamilton College, which is where you went to see this. Uh, yeah, which is really wrong. And if I understand his argument at all, this is what I understand that he's saying. 
he believes that a society, the citizenry of a country, has responsibility for the, the actions of the leadership. Right? I mean, we allegedly live in a democracy, so we chose George Bush, right? I mean, right. so he, he's in there because we chose him. I won't go off on how we didn't, but that's another topic entirely. <laughs> so he puts some culpability on uh, the citizens at large for the actions of the leadership as well. Okay, we chose them. So we are also somewhat responsible for the leadership's actions. And I guess where he was going with this whole idea was that, you know, we were attacked on 9-11 because of foreign policy actions in the Middle East that apparently make people in that region angry. We were attacked, he was insinuating that we were attacked because of bad behavior, our bad behavior in that region. And where he went on with his argument further was to talk about Nazi Germany. He held the citizens of, of Germany somewhat responsible for Hitler's actions. So in this giant melee of words and this giant mess, somebody decided to pick out the really the words that were most notable, the, the words that stuck out the most, 9-11, citizens, Nazis. You know, and then they paraphrased him his saying, um, you know, that he compared the people who died in 9-11 to Nazis or something, which wasn't what he was saying at all. And while I don't agree with, you know, what Ward Churchill says a lot of the time, because he is a bit of a loose cannon, I do support his right to say whatever the hell he wants. This is the United States of America. Yeah. And I just going back to what I said earlier, I think that we should be debating ideas and, and not be jumping on people's words or choice of words or poor choice of words, because... We should take some time and actually think about what they're saying, pull out the meaning, call them up on, on what, they're, what they're saying, or call them up, call or, them on what they're saying, have yeah. them explain what they're saying. Yeah, why not? Instead give of, them an opportunity to clarify. To, to clarify and defend. Instead yeah. of the media uh, jumping on this soundbite and, and paraphrasing or misquoting Ward Churchill or, or whomever, why not actually let him speak, go to the event, and then interview him afterwards and say a very simple question. What did you mean when... Right. And in these Hello? academic situations, they're always allowed a question and answer period afterwards. Well, I've been to a bunch of the talks yeah. in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't go to the one you went to, but I, I've been to two or three of them in the last two years. And I've met some pretty cool people and had some great conversations with these guys who are, you know, normally not as accessible as, as you know, we would like them to be. But when they're at Hamilton, they always make themselves available for talks and book signings and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And in fact, even in this, this speech, um, Jared Diamond, he was, I wouldn't say called out on some of these ideas, but... But someone asked him about, well, do you have children? And asking him about, you know, if if he's looking at the the sociological impact of of climate change and all of that at a high level, or is he looking at it at a human level? And he clarified and said, the reason why we should all be concerned about the collapse of civilizations is because when these civilizations collapse, it really sucks for the people involved. There's a lot of suffering. <laughs> well, the reason we should be concerned about the collapse of any civilization is because we are a civilization. You well, know? right. I mean, he had a lot of points. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing him justice, and I'm not doing his arguments justice, but he had a lot of points, one of them being the people involved are suffering, and suffering, human suffering is a bad thing, and we should try to limit that as much as possible, especially when we see it coming. Well, and we have the resources and technology to do it, but right. we're not doing it for a variety of reasons, and, and I guess that's a topic for another show. Right, and then the second thing, which is also very important, is... We're we're such an interconnected world these days. We're not bounded by oceans, and that keeps other countries away from us anymore, as we can see by 9-11. Well, we are, but now we have tin cans and strings. That's exactly right. Really long strings. 
But what happens is when any society collapses, even if it's the smallest third world country collapsing, it's going to have an effect on us as well. So we all have to be aware of what's going on in the world. We can't just look at our country as the only country that's sitting out there. And if stuff goes on that's bad in other countries, then we're okay with it. I work with a guy, and he's, you do, yeah. He's always trying to pin me down on this, these ideas of nationalism and flag waving, and do you love your country and all of this this stuff. And you know, I just constantly fend him off by saying I consider myself a citizen of the world. You know, I actually care about what's going on in other countries, mm -hmm. and if my country's behaving badly, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak out about it. Yep. So I was going to say more, but I think that uh, I think that's enough about that topic. I don't have anything else to add. Shut up. All right. I was okay. trying to limit John's speech. I apologize. <laughs> so we've got some more tunage. We do? Yeah. Who is this? This is I have something I picked up from the uh, Podsafe Music Network. I'm giving them a little free plug there. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yep. It's a band called the Mad Caddies. And this is a tune called Just One More. All right. That's really cool stuff. Yeah. I sort of like that little honky-tonk kind of Roaring Twenty stuff that they start the song with, and then they kind of go into the speed uh, speed punk thing. But uh, that, wow, what an interesting uh, collection of, of styles. It's juxtaposition. That's what we like about it. That's what we're all about. Juxtapositions. Yeah. There's a magazine that I, I really dig. It's uh, it's an art magazine, underground art magazine called Juxtapose. That's their whole concept. Take two things. That juxtapose don't, them. That don't match, and even. You get, and you get interesting stuff, like chocolate and peanut butter. Or or 
bloodthirsty vegetarians. There you go. That actually reminded me of uh, their intro part, the little sort of Roaring Twenties kind of uh, honky-tonk thing there reminded me of a band I've seen a couple times called the Asylum Streets Bankers. I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys. <laughs> That's a but great name. The Asylum Streets Bankers, God's favorite band. That's what it says <laughs> on their posters. Um, they've come around here three times. I've seen them in the last two times. They were actually here in um, in June or, or no. No, when were they here? They were here very recently. August, September, late, late August, I think. One of those and uh, they played down um, in uh, at the state office building in the outdoor summer festival really? thing. Yeah, wow. and they're always on the Bob and Tom show or whatever that morning drive show is that some of those stations have. It's a nationally syndicated uh, morning show. Hmm. Don't listen to any of those. They're yeah. always on there, but I've seen them twice, and they do that sort of honky tonk, roaring twenty stuff, and they've got such great humor. Their lead singer is a a guy named Whammo, and he's a spoken word <laughs> poet. And I've seen him do his spoken word poetry too. He's from Texas. He's just totally out of his mind. And um, the actual woman who sings in the band, um, I can't think of her name, uh, Christina Mars or something is her name. But I mean, their their repertoire is interesting. And like they have violin, banjo, a variety of guitars. They play uh, ukulele, tenor guitar, six string guitar. Um, the drummer basically plays a snare with a splash cymbal, you know, <laughs> and with brushes. Really cool stuff. One of these days, I'm going to have to email them and see if they'll let us play one of their songs or something like that. But oh, great man. stuff. You know, when you're talking about the, this mix of instruments, I remember hearing it. And, and someone please write in and tell me who, who this is. Maybe I'll look it up and, and put a link later. But I was listening to uh, one of the NPR programs, a syndicated program, and they had a band on. Um, and instead of having a drummer... The percussionist used tap shoes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, she actually learned to tap using a, a drummer style. It wasn't like typical tap stuff where she's doing this little, uh, you know, good ship lollipop routine. She was, <laughs> she, she learned to drum as, or tap as if a drummer would drum and it right. gave a great sound. So. The the Spankers are great because their banjo player, their banjoist, um, at one point in the uh, in their set will break into snippets. He'll do quote he'll quote other songs, <laughs> and you know, like just throw a riff in. Yeah, yeah, they'll throw a riff in, and it becomes the game of can you guess the riff? And they're they're clever with the riffs they choose. Like for example, there's one point where he starts. Um, you know, banjo uses the finger picks so you can arpeggiate chords. And he started playing Eruption by Eddie Van Halen on banjo. <laughs> I'm wondering if, you know, who in the room actually caught it, but it was really cool because I was looking at the guy next to me and I was like, that's Eruption. And he goes, yeah. yeah. I have and to catch those guys. They quote um, Spinal Tap every once in a while, <laughs> which is which is great among uh, people who Stonehenge. like that kind of thing. Yep, yep. And very briefly, I'm going to do... Um, I'm going to talk about a film I saw at the uh, MWPAI.org. Yeah, so we all know what that is. No need <laughs> I mean, to go into it. I think I've talked about that way too much. But I saw a film on Friday called Mysterious Skin. It was a, a film directed by Greg Araki, A-R-A-K-I. I have no idea how to pronounce that. He's Araki? Araki. Yeah, that's why I wanted to spell it. Came out in uh, 2004, rated NC-17, about 99 minutes long. Deadly serious subject matter. What's it about? It is about sexual abuse uh, and children, with children. And I almost don't want to tell you anything about this movie because you really, really need to see it. It's disturbing. It's profound. And you will leave the theater thinking, you know, <laughs> this is going to keep you thinking for days. And I didn't even know how to, how to begin broaching the subject, but it's about these two kids and how they don't realize it until near the end of the film that their lives are are connected and intertwined and each one is suffering from the sexual abuse that they were victim of 
they were victims of, they each one is suffering in a different way, completely different ways. One in the, the way you would expect, you know, emotionally, his life is a wreck. How do I want to say that? He's, um, he's, 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 he's turned into a waif. Yeah, he's become sexually involved, very promiscuous. Okay, that's the yeah. word I want. He, he's become very promiscuous. And the other person has dealt with this in a different way. He's chosen to block the memories and treat them as something else. He gets little snippets of these memories, and his logical mind probably doesn't want to deal with the fact that he was sexually abused. So he probably thinks, his his conscious mind probably denies it and assigns another blame to these little flashes of memories that he has. And I don't want to give away what his brain assigns to these snippets of memories and, and what he interprets them as. Because it's a very clever and interesting idea that might explain a lot of this particular phenomenon in our society and in the world. Now I'm intrigued. I must see this movie. Well, and I really don't want to give it away. But yeah. I mean, again, the subject matter is deadly serious. I mean, if if this is something you can't handle, don't rent this film. But I mean, Mysterious Skin is an amazing piece of work. It abhors. It hates child abuse. It hates sexual abuse. But I mean, it As is we all a, should. Exactly. And it is a terrifying look at uh, this one person in particular who who chooses to take a particularly dangerous path, having unprotected sex and uh, tricking and uh, and whatnot. But I mean, I would really, really recommend this film. And again, approach it with, with care because this film will disturb you and it will make you think. Yeah, it's one of those things that... Uh that you can look at child abuse or child sexual abuse in particular and say, you know, the act itself is, is ridiculously disgusting. But um, to see a film where it's dramatized, what the effects are, what the long-lasting effects are. I think and it's, it's happening every day. Yes. You know, we can't ignore it. Once again, I mean, as a society, we can be in denial about things like death and sexual abuse and, and, mm -hmm. and the cycle of abuse that goes down generations of families because they were abused and then they become abusers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is happening every day and it needs to be addressed. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, I've, I've had in my family, I've had, um, um, some family members work in social services and, and they've, they haven't told me any particulars, but they've told me about the, just the sheer number of cases they've had to deal with. And, and my sister-in-law, she's, she worked for many years as, as, um, child sexual abuse caseworker. And, it's just devastating to deal with that every single day. She no longer does it, you know, because yeah. I think she's got children of her own. And I think it's one of those things where she had to, to leave the job for her own sanity. Um, but it, I just can only imagine the amount of suffering that is going on out there because of this. And I've only heard a slice of it in one small community. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sort of makes me want to ask you a question, John. Have you ever broached this topic with your children? I mean, inappropriate touching or anything like that, if, if other people are doing that with them? Well... We have, um, not to put me on the spot or anything. Yes, we, we have, but, um, you know, they're very, very young right now. And, and that's not, a, it's not a, a, a cop out. They're very, very young right now. So explaining them the specifics of, of certain types of touching, you know, we, we didn't really get too much into, but we have warned them about who are strangers, who are people who should be allowed to come near them, who should be allowed to touch them physically. You know, you don't just run up to someone and hug them because they're, you know, you don't know them, you know, it, family members, um, unfortunately are the, the ones who are, are perpetrating most of these crimes. So it's sort of hard to keep people away from family members, but yeah. We, well, in this film that, that actually wasn't the case, but. Right. But it's statistically, again, that's, that's the way it is, unfortunately. Well, how old, how old are your two daughters? 
Eight and six. Eight and six. Well, I would yeah. say that uh, in this film, it started for these two boys when they were around eight. Yeah. And I, it's a very delicate subject to, um, well, to want to broach with your children. And yeah. I actually did ambush you on purpose with this one. I was yeah. just curious to see what your reaction would well, be. Well, I mean, when I, when I think Not about it. Not ambushing. I mean, it's I, a serious topic. And it, it's, it's something ex- you should be concerned about as a parent. I mean, every parent should be. And I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of, of something like that, like that ever happening. But I think it's just been a, the natural situation is that, you know, my kids are really never out of my sight. When they get older and they start having more outside activities and, and there are people who I don't see them with, um, then it's going to be a, a major concern. But right now they're, they're mostly in the house or in their classroom. And in between, they're not, there's not a whole lot of other contact with other people outside of our supervision. Well, I mean, not to ambush you again, but I'm <laughs> sure the mother of the eight-year-old in this film might have made that argument too. You know? Well, again, the mother of the eight-year-old in the film was an actress. So well, that wasn't real, but that, I know the situations oh, on, can John. be. I'm just joking. No, but I'm I'm talking you. I'm talking about my particular situation. My kids aren't out of my sight or my wife's sight unless they're in a supervised setting like school. Um, well, this guy was at Little League, you know, yeah. and it, and it started when the coach started um, to offer him a ride home. Not to change the subject away from the particular topic of abuse, but um, you guys will know some of the actors and actresses in this film. The the lead, who did a wonderful job, uh, is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was the youngest son in the Third Rock from the Sun TV Yeah, and it's sitcom. It's, and it's a, a good thing to see an actor take on a brave role like that because he was in everyone's household every single day as this cute kid. Yeah, I mean, actually, there's a lot of people who did courageous, took courageous, uh, took a chance in this film because, let's face it, the guy who's playing the sexual abuser is taking a huge risk yeah. in his career as an actor. And actually, this leads me to another story. Back in the 70s when um, Archie Bunker, uh, what was that show called? Uh, All, in the, All family. in the Family was on. There was an episode where a rapist broke into... Uh, the Bunker household when Archie wasn't around and was threatening to rape Edith Bunker. And eventually, you know, she extracted herself from the situation and and got out. But that actor's career ended. Edith Bunker was such a beloved character in American pop culture that that actor was not employable. You were the guy who was going to (laughs) rape Edith Bunker. We don't want you on our sitcom or whatever, our our show or our movie. I mean, so it it actually reminds me of a film that Kevin Bacon did called The Woodsman, I think, where he played uh, uh, someone who had um, some inappropriate contact with children. And, you know, Kevin Bacon did a very courageous thing by taking that role, too. And if I don't know if you saw that film, but it was a very good film that dealt with the topic very appropriately and very seriously as well. But kudos to uh, to Kevin Bacon and Joseph Gordon-Levitt for taking these roles because, um, you know, I mean, I think this is something that needs to be talked about. Yeah, sure. Definitely. So I'm thinking we're done. That's just kind of heavy. And uh, we should just kind of leave it at that and, and just blow out of here. Yes. You know, and as a final word, peace and love. Because I can't leave it on child abuse. That's just awful. That's right. We should be uh, thinking about peace, love, and um, pasta. And klaxons. And klaxons. So we are out of here. We will see you again next week. We will. Or we'll, you'll hear, you'll hear us, us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Want to throw a quick shout out to the podcast brothers for giving us a quick uh, plug. quick plug on their show. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to the Podcast Brothers before, and if you're interested in podcasting and the business of podcasting, check them out. They're very good at uh, podcastbrothers.com. Yep, and they, they talk about the whole monetization, as they call it, That's of podcasting, term. the whole business thing. But you know what? Check out our blog, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us some feedback at feedback. 
Imagine that. Feedback at bloodyveg.com. And Martin from Australia, we will eventually get to your email where you told us how much per liter you are paying for gasoline. And you're paying more. And remember, you're listening to VIB. 